right, everyone, you may be seated. If you are um, a participant in Camp Redstone, we're going to actually dismiss you guys a little bit earlier this morning. So um, Camp Redstone, um, kiddos, you'll go back to the back, and someone is going to be back there. All I see right now is Maya. Up oh, here we go. We got Mr. Smythe. You know, so Luke's back there for you guys. Um, also, if you're not a part of Redstone, and if you're not getting the emails, um, or if you didn't look at the links this week, or whatever, today's subject material is going to be sensitive. Uh, we're talking about uh, sexual temptations, right? So if you've got a little one and you're like, oh, she's just going to stay with me, or he's going to stay with me, and now you're like, hmm, I wonder if she shouldn't go to Camp Redstone, now would be the time to make that decision, uh, because we're going to jump into um, this pretty, um, pretty straightforwardly this morning. Okay, are we ready? So I have this note on my, um, my iPad this morning that says, Jerry, stick to the script. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. This is a, a weighty and it's a heavy subject, and I can easily see myself kind of veering off onto all kinds of ramps, and I do not want to do that. So this is going to be one of these Sundays where you're going to see me um, trying really, really hard um, to stick straight to the script that just now disappeared on my, my computer. But here we go. The magic of technology, it re returned. All right. So uh, let's pray together this morning. And I want, to, I want not just for you guys to hear me pray, but I want you to pray as well. Okay? So just sit there silently, and everyone in here can touch someone to their left or to their right. Um, or in front of you or behind you in your world that is impacted by today's subject. And you may not know it, but it's true. And within this small congregation in East Tennessee, you know, in a little town called Elizabeth, and there are people that are here today that are being impacted by this subject in such a way that it is robbing you of freedom and victory. And um, so I just, I pray that as we enter into our time today, that we would pray that God would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to be open to what he has for us. Can we do that? Okay, let's pray together. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds to see the truths that you have from your holy word and that you and you only have for us today as you continue to grow and mold us day by day into the image of your Son, may every other word that I might speak this morning fall to the ground and be quickly forgotten. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Right, so let me just start off by saying this. I am angry. That's the first thing you need to hear out of my, mind, uh, out of my mouth. Let's look at this passage together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It's in your worship guide. And you've also got uh, some fill-in-the-blanks. If you want to fill-in-the-blank, I'll try to you know, cue you when, when those will pop up on your screen. But look at this particular passage, and this is one of several that we're going to look at this morning. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the will of God for us, that we would walk in holiness and that we would honor Him with our bodies 
And that should be different in the way that we respond, in the way that we think, in the, the, the decisions that we make, than it is from people that don't have Christ and that don't know the truth and that don't know the gospel. So I said, I'm angry, and I am. You probably don't hear me say that very often from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but that's where we need to start. I'm angry with this righteous indignation because of how I see the enemy is using the lure of sexual temptation to wreck lives, to bring havoc on marriages, and to keep hosts of Christians, yes, Christians is what I'm talking about, in hiding and living these guilt-ridden lives. I see it often, more often than I wish that I did, and I'm angry. You can, you can hear it in my voice, I'm angry. And I'm, I'm not angry at the propensity to sin because we have that within us, right? I'm not angry at the depravity of man. My anger goes toward the enemy and these subtle ways, these ploys that he continually uses with this particular temptation. And I'm upset with us as a church, not necessarily Redstone Church Elizabeth, but the church universal that we haven't gone to battle with the weapons that he has provided for us. And we have not stepped up to address this critically important topic. I can't go to ESPN to find out how Tennessee did, and they lost, I'm sure, by the way, without some image popping up on my phone or my computer. I can't go read what's happening within our world in the news without something popping up on my phone. I'm not an Instagram guy, but I remember last year I had it, and my kids would send something every once in a while or a family member, and I remember like jumping in and somehow that led me somewhere else, and all of a sudden something popped up on my screen. I thought, dear Lord, what was that and where did that come from? How do I delete Instagram? And I did immediately. And this is the world that we live in. And as one of the two shepherds, the elders that we have at Redstone Church Elizabethan, I feel like it's part of my responsibility to speak up and to address this, this important topic and to give guidance through the gospel and these gospel truths and maybe some wisdom applications along the way that will hopefully benefit us as a body with the goal being that people might be set free or reminded if this is an area that you're not struggling with of how you can help other people be set free. Horizontal versus vertical. Those are two words you're going to hear this morning. We often look for identity and satisfaction from things horizontally. And when I say horizontally, I mean in this world, okay? That can only be found vertically. Identity, power, attention, gratification, perfect love, all of these things, we find our hearts going searching for them and for answers all around us. We care what people think and we're looking for someone to pay attention to us. We're looking to make a difference or to be known or to be accepted, to be loved. We have these desires. And what we do is we choose these paths along the way that we think will help us. I've got a homosexual friend and he would tell you, I was, hey, were you born this way? You think that that's what it is? Or 
were you just searching for the same thing everybody else is searching for, which is identity, acceptance, and love, and you didn't find it here, so you went over here, and he was like, yeah, that was it. That was what I did. That's one example of many. But we do this. Psalm 73, 25 is my life verse, and it says, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. I don't always live that. In fact, sometimes I do just the opposite. You've heard me say it often. I run after shiny things, squirrels, and I find my heart being drawn in different directions. And we all do that. That's looking horizontally. And none of those things will ever satisfy. And let me say this, and I'm kind of jumping ahead. And if you find yourself in the middle of this temptation that involves another person, the more you step into that and you allow your heart to go in that direction, what you're doing is, inadvertently, you are not allowing that person to begin to look vertically because in a short snippet of time, they are being satisfied by the fact that you pay attention to them or you love them or you're communicating with them or you think that they're beautiful or sexy or whatever. And it keeps them looking horizontally and this vicious cycle continues until they wake up one day and they realize that they don't even know who they are and that none of these things that they have sought has satisfied. And it's one thing when unbelievers would do that it's another thing when Christians who have the truth and know the truth would say, praise God, he loves me, he came to forgive me and give me a relationship with him. However, look, there's shiny things all around. Let me go look horizontally to see if I can find satisfaction. And you do for a moment, and then it goes away. And then you do it again for a moment, and it goes away. This is the cycle, and this is what I see. Sexual temptation might be seen as an awkward topic to preach on, but we're going to swallow that pill right now. Okay, everybody just get it, throw it down however you swallow your medicine so that we can jump in with open and honest hearts and not let embarrassment or awkwardness win the day. And let me say this, one week on this topic is not sufficient. It is not. There are so many things from pornography to homosexuality to adultery to just basic sexual temptations and social media that we should and that we could discuss. But shame on us if we don't at least start somewhere. So we won't cover everything, but we'll cover what we can. And then maybe we can continue to discuss it and bring it back up as we work our way through this amazing book of Ephesians, which actually starts next week. I remember as a kid, there was a movie that came out, and I'm kind of giving my age here, but I was in, I'm going to say sixth grade-ish, and Bo Derrick was in a movie, and it was called Ten. Who remembers this movie? Who's old here? Thank you. Mid-Oz are old, and that makes me happy, right? Yes. You know, and the movie was based upon the premise, which I never saw, by the way. It was just the commercials and the posters, you know, but it was based upon the fact that this girl is the perfect 10, right? And as a sixth grader, I could go to the mall with my friends, and we'd go wandering around the mall, and we'd go to the GameStop, and we would go to Chick-fil-A, and then we would eventually find our way to Spencer's, because you can go in Spencer's, and you could just flip through the posters, right? And it wasn't just Boderic. 
there were other images, and mamas and daddies had no idea what little boys were looking at. And those images are still in my head today. I can conjure them back up. And I had a friend who had a friend who had a magazine out in the woods hidden in a tree. That was how we had access to things back then. And those images are still there, and they can pop up, and I have to fight against them. Think about where my heart might have been if I would have been a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old living today with an iPad or a phone or a computer. Safeguards, yeah, but you can work your way around those. I don't even know what my life would have looked like. And that's what we're seeing happen over and over. This past year, I have seen men giving into pornography, women giving into pornography, to the point that marriages could, in some cases, be ended. And others have so much guilt that they never even pursue a relationship with someone else. I have seen men and women, and I am referring to Christians in both accounts, who have had sexual affairs and have, in some cases, ended long-standing marriages this year. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible? And if you don't, I just encourage you maybe to make a note in your worship guide and go look at it um, later. But there's this, there's this amazing story. It's short and sweet. And Jacob was the older, so the older, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Esau was the older, and the older is the one that gets the birthright, okay? And um, Jacob was the younger. Esau was hairy, he was the hunter, um, you know, he was Joshua Hubbard, right? So picture Joshua Hubbard. I don't know who's going to be my Jacob, um, so I won't, feel, I won't give you a name for my Jacob, okay? But Jacob was the one that liked to stay home with mom, and he just liked to cook. And he was a really good cook. So one day, he's making this amazing pot of stew. And Esau comes off of uh, you know, his, his hunting trip, and he walks in, and he can smell the stew. And he's like, I want some stew. And Jacob's like, hold on. He was like, I want the birthright. I want our father's birthright. And his response was, I don't care. I want this too. He's like, will you give me the birthright of our father? Even though I'm the youngest, will you give it to me? He said, I don't care about the stupid birthright. Give me my stew now is basically the Jerry Loose paraphrase of that story. Okay? Move this over to sexual temptation. This is what I see and what I hear. Yes, I know it's wrong. Yes, I know I may be found out. Yes, I know that this is inconsistent with Christianity. Yes, I know that this would hurt my spouse dearly and embarrass my kid, but dang it, I still want it. I want it now, and I want it anyway, and it's simply a risk worth taking. That's how quickly our hearts are drawn to this particular subject, and it's why I'm so angry. I want you to be angry too. You know, please understand this, though. When God made Adam and Eve, it was good. And he created them as sexual creatures with the ability for sexual pleasure and to procreate the earth and to enjoy one another. But when they sinned, they covered their nakedness and they were ashamed. And that's what sin will always do. It will taint and it will corrupt 
that which God created as good and beautiful, which leads to truth number one, God made us, this is where you fill in the blanks if you're a fill in the blanks person, sexual beings. He made us sexual beings. And within the confines of his creation, sex is and should be beautiful and a true gift from him. And we get a glimpse of this beauty. If you're going through CBR, Community Bible Reading, we have journals in the back. We encourage you to do that with other people. But we, we just went through the Song of Solomon. And we see in the book of the Song of Solomon some of this beauty and some of this goodness. And the only reason that that book makes us cringe sometimes is because of sin or how the world has tainted this subject. A quick shout out to Mark Scarra, who you may or may not know, who normally would sit over here. And Mark, I'm sure, is watching from home. And he's in one of our CBR groups. And we were reading through Song of Solomon, and I think he was in chapter 6, and it was mushy. And he said, guys, I took this passage, and with every bit of conviction and passion that I could, I read it to my wife. And she said, if you don't back away quickly, this room is going to be like Jesus clearing the temple. And it was the greatest takeaway in the CBR. You know, because there's this response that we have when we hear this language that makes us uncomfortable. And the only reason that that's the case is because of the way that sin in this world has tainted it. We live in a world where sex is almost seen outside of the lenses of the gospel in God's creation. But like a fire outside of the boundaries, when sex is had and sexual temptations are given into outside of, and I have this underlined, outside of the, the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman, as God designed it to be, it will bring harm. Things will be burned and destroyed. Many lives, apart from the gospel, will be charred and corrupted. So yes, we're sexual beings, and especially men, we're very visual beings as well. And there are beautiful people all over this world. So we need to get to the heart of the matter and apply the gospel if we want to have victory in this area and to walk in victory in this particular area. First off, there are several warnings throughout Scripture on sexual temptation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're just going to look at a few of them this morning. Let me read these. 1 Corinthians 6.18, which we will come back to in a moment. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Hebrews 13.4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10.8 We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. 1 Corinthians 6, 13b, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
1 Corinthians, actually I think it's, yeah, 1 Corinthians 5.1. It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans for a man has his father's wife. Matthew 25, 27 through 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart for those of us that pat ourselves in the back because we don't indulge, but it's in our hearts and our minds only. Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery. And there's many, many more. We're only skimming the surface this morning but suffice it to say that the Word of God has much to say on this particular topic from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason that it does goes back to our first point. We are sexual creatures. And the temptations that this world presents to us in this area are strong and they can be very destructive. So to a middle schooler, and we have some of those that are here, this temptation is going to look different for you than it is going to be for a young single adult, than it is going to be for a married man or a married woman. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. The lure may be different. The temptations may be different, but it does impact each and every one of us. There's no one that is not on the page of individuals that could be tempted, which leads us to truth number two. The struggle to remain sexually pure is common to man and women. And get this one, please. You are not alone. You are not alone. I think maybe that's why there are so, so many passages on this topic and why we see so many examples of impurity in the Scripture. But if you think that you're alone and the only one who struggles then what you'll end up doing is just wallowing in your guilt and you'll be less likely to step up and ask for help. Consider the words from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a passage that I strongly encourage you to commit to memory, to put into your heart. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's common to man, this thing that you're dealing with, you think that you're alone, you think you're the only one that's having to struggle, you're not. God is faithful. and He'll always wait, make a way of escape. Now normally we do ministry moment before the service and we have a conversation with someone or we talk about a, a ministry sometimes it's just get to know you and sometimes it's like hey where do you work and what's your ministry and can you tell us more we've inserted the ministry moment today in the middle because i want to have a conversation with one of our very own so larry this is the moment right so larry come on up so everybody if you don't know this is larry kimball yeah hey larry all right, so Larry, you take the cordless mic and just make sure you're on this side of the tape. That's all. So wave at the people in the right that are watching you from home. Okay, Larry, first off, this is a, a bold step for you. You know, we talked um, October, November-ish about some things that were going on in your life. And then at some point in time, 
you actually even presented to me, like, one of these days, I think we ought to talk about this on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, I'm way ahead of you, buddy. I just have you down the road a little way. So today's that day. Okay, so first off, just go ahead and jump into it. Explain why you're here today and just an honest overview of your own personal struggles. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm Larry. Um, yeah, the, well, two things I'd like to say before I dive totally into it. One is um, I have this kind of flaw to my personality that when I start to feel uncomfortable, I smile <laughs> a lot. And the more uncomfortable I feel, the more I'll know. smile. So my wife knows this because she sat by me through many funerals as I grin <laughs> ear to ear. And um, it's a, that is a terrible quality, and it's going to make for a strange thing to watch. But, but know that it's, it doesn't reflect what's inside. It's just how I deal with the uncomfortableness. Um, so that's the first thing. The, the second thing is I appreciate that Jerry had his pray, and, and I hope you can still be praying because for me, I, um, I admire and look up to and uh, love so many of you here. And this will be embarrassing when I'm going to talk about personally embarrassing. And I'm happy to do it. I want to do it. I, I feel strongly it is the way I can honor the work God has done in my life in the last year and a half. But none of that necessarily makes it easier. So I, I would appreciate your prayer as I'm up here sharing. Um, so, yes, my name is Larry. I have a new life in Christ. Uh, I struggle well with pride, perfectionism, uh, working really hard for the approval of God and the approval of man, and an addiction to pornography. So it's nice to see you all today. Hmm. Um, my struggle started when I was 11 years old. I attended a school friend's birthday party. It was a sleepover. Uh, and it started like a normal birthday party, did not end that way. Uh, his, at his house, his dad was okay with him buying pay-per-view pornography on cable. And that's what he did. And that's what we spent most of the night watching. Um, and that was a rude awakening for me as an 11-year-old, never having um, experienced that before. Um, thankfully, at my house, we didn't have pay-per-view or anything like that, so that was a mercy, but unfortunately also, um, the internet was new and on the scene when I was 11, and I, later that year, I was playing just a simple internet game online on our family computer, and there was a pornographic pop-up that came up, and it reminded me a lot of, of exactly what I had seen at that guy's birthday party, and I clicked it. And I've, I've struggled since that day not to click it and, not, and to say no to this struggle since then. I'm going to be 31 this year, so that almost makes 20 years of this struggle being um, something I've had to fight uh, since then. So what that would look like for me, if I was doing really well, it would look like maybe once or a few times a week. And if I was doing really poorly, it could look like multiple times a day. So, so it was a it was a uh, a struggle that took a big bite out of my life. Um, and I also like to say this, if I can, mm -hmm. the I, my mentor is 71 years old, and he's really helped me understand 
some of the different things that we can hear about pornography, really depending on the generation you come from. Um, I think for those who are maybe older than my generation, like you mentioned, Jerry. Like the, the middles. <laughs> didn't want to say any names, yeah. Yes. But, um, but the pornography was something you had to, to leave your house often and go pursue and go to a store or go find something and pay for it with money, you know. And some of those, some of those obstacles helped in some ways keep, keep people safe. And for those in my generation and younger, like you mentioned, that is not the case. I've never spent a dime on this struggle. Um, I, I've been able to do it from my own home uh, all, all the way throughout. And so the loss of some of those obstacles just made it that, that much harder, like you mentioned. Um, we still choose, but, it, but it, it, it took away some of those natural obstacles that I think, I think and I think it's a, it put a new face on the struggle of pornography than some in previous generations kind of had pictured in their mind. Yeah, very good. So here's a question for you. When did you become a Christian? Where does that fit into your struggle? Yeah, I, um, my parents became Christians when I was a kid. So they were new Christians, and I think that's maybe sometimes why they were kind of, you know, this, yeah. this struggle was so uh, <clears throat> developed and they kind of kind of caught it later. Um, I became a Christian then when I was uh, about 16 years old. I, I, there was a moment in church where I prayed at about six years old, and, um, and that was good. I think at about 16 is when I really started to see the need in my own life you know, uh, um, and, and the need for Christ's salvation. So. Yeah, so then, you know, talk about, because it's one thing if you don't, don't have the Spirit of Christ and if you don't know the gospel. So, and briefly, just kind of walk us through, well, what does that cycle look like then? You know, because we're going to talk about cycle in a few moments. So you click, you give in. What happens after that? What does your life look like afterward? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, I, one, one picture that, that I, I've been able to share at some of the program I went to, and, is at Allie and I's old house, there was this peach tree that was planted right next to the house. And this peach tree, if anyone saw it, they always thought it looked so crazy because it was planted so close to the house that all the branches on one side grew out super far, covered with leaves and with fruit so they could get the sunlight. Sam knows now because he lives there. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of the tree was barren, and no branches on it, no leaves, and covered in mildew and moss, because that side never saw sunlight. Mm. It was always in the shade. And people would always comment, you know, that tree is gonna tip over at some point. And they're right, that tree will tip over someday. It's not my problem anymore. <laughs> um, um, and I think that's a good picture for how I felt in this struggle a lot, is, is I think I would have tipped over yeah. at some point because on one side, I did have a faith and I, I really felt like I, I accepted Christ's salvation for me. But on the other side of me was this place that lived in the shade, in yeah. the darkness, right. you know, and, and that created such an unbalanced and lopsided person and faith. And so it looked like a lot of hypocrisy right. of, of showing up, trying, you know, on Sundays or, or with other Christians mm -hmm. and, and trying to walk the walk and then totally feeling defeated and living in this cycle of just again and again showing up to this thing that, that you hate but that, that 
there's a part of you that you keep saying yes to. Yeah. And, and that was uh, that shame and that keeping it hidden, that, that right. cycle, I think allowed it to flourish a lot longer than it would have if I could have yeah. kind of brought that side out Bring more into the light. light. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very good. Um, briefly talked about, I know Allie's here as well, but like how has this impacted you in your marriage? Yeah. Um, well, this I, wasn't hidden when you entered into marriage, you, you, yeah. you full disclosure. That's right. Yeah. Right. That was a one, I guess, blessing is that, um, at, when Allie and I got engaged, yeah, strangely, because I really have not let many people in up to, you know, well, guess what? Way. You have now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, welcome. Um, <laughs> the strange thing was in college when Allie and I got engaged, I just felt so strongly that I had to share this struggle with her so that if she wanted out or if it was too much, she could, um, get out. And, and so, um, we sat down and, and I shared it with her. And, and if you know my wife at all, my wife is a, uh, tremendously selfless person. And she really treated me with so much love and respect and kindness and kind of accepted that. And, and, maybe accepted it hoping it would change and I did too and um but but yeah that was how it started and and I will say it of course has hurt our marriage um and I think I think actually some of the pain of it kind of got delayed until I started going to regeneration yes and um well which is the next topic let's get so go ahead and jump into that okay so like at what point in time um did you say I've there's a there's a phrase I use it often if you spend some time with me over coffee, you know, where I say people don't change and still until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, if that makes sense. So whether that be pornography, whether that be just how you spend money or whatever, like this thing that I'm doing is not good and it's damaging and it's hurtful, but not to the degree that I'm willing to go through all of this to change. So at what point in time did you say, I don't care what I have to do? but I can't stay here anymore. And then where did you find hope and help? Yeah, okay. yeah so, um, <clears throat> well, I think there were a lot of things I believed and lies even I believed that helped that the enemy and my flesh used to kind of keep me in that struggle. Some of those were, well, once I get married, it will go away, you know, because now I can be a, a sexual being in, yeah. in, this, in the confines of marriage. Right. And... And that didn't necessarily happen. And so I was like, all right, as I get older, you know, as my blood cools a little bit and I'm not a young man anymore, um, that'll start to change. And, and that didn't necessarily happen. And then finally it was, well, surely when kids come and mortgages and right. full-time jobs and things that adults worry about, you know, that will surely nip it in the bud. And, and, and that, that was not the case either. And so the dawning realization I was having was, this looks no different than when I was 11 and it's been well, 20 years, you know, and my children coming on the scene, I think were the biggest kick in the pants because I had a son um, who I could easily foresee this being a struggle, especially as we talked about in today's yeah. day and age. And I had a daughter then on the way who could very well be in the same boat. And not only that, both of them, could suffer greatly at the hands of a spouse or someone else that they know closely who struggles with this. And 
man, that, that hurt a lot. And so there was a coworker at work. He happened to be just talking. We were just talking, and he mentioned to me that he was in a Bible study, and he had met someone I knew, and I said, no, that's cool. And he said, but I can't tell you who it is. And I was like, oh, that's weird, you know. Uh, why'd you bring this up then? <laughs> um, and he said, that's just the kind of Bible study it is you can't, you can't talk about, you know. And I was like, oh, I know what, I know what this is, this yeah. Bible study. And since he <clears throat> mentioned that, it just was playing on repeat in my head. I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And it finally felt like God was saying to me, like, this is your chance. This is your chance to start to get out of this burden mm. is, um, and so I texted him and said, I kind of get the, the vibe, maybe what this Bible study is, can I go to it with you? And, and, and he was like, you absolutely can. And so for a month and a half, I went to Regeneration, which I'll talk about what that is, but I will say the timing on it felt very like God's work because it was about a month and a half in and he moved away mm. and doesn't even live in the area anymore. And, um, and so I'm, I'm very thankful for that because his, his accountability of going there with me helped me stay in the early parts where it was very difficult. So regeneration is a ministry, uh, uh, actually what they call it is a 12-step discipleship program. So to break that down, and it meets at Grace Fellowship Church in Johnson City. Um, regeneration, the 12-step portion, if you know anything about AA or some of the recovery programs out there, often they have a 12-step component. And so it's, it's, the recovery is, is steeped in, or the ministry is steeped in recovery. But the discipleship part is kind of the different tack that they take that's a little bit different than AA, some of the other ones, is that they really believe that, you know, the, there's no freedom apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and transformation of the Holy Spirit. And so it would be great to not suffer so much under a struggle with pornography, but it would be only so helpful if that wasn't a life surrendered to Christ, you know, and living in the freedom of the gospel. And so, so that, that program goes through the 12 steps, but it's, it's very steeped in scripture and discipleship. So it's about yeah. learning who Christ is and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, there, I was just going to say briefly about the a few the the quick items that really stuck out to about regeneration mm -hmm. to me when I started. One of the hard things at first, but that the things one of the things I came to love about regeneration was you would you would go for the first hour and we'd be in a big group where we'd do worship and someone would share a testimony or something like that. And the second hour would be with our small group of, of about 10 to 15 of the same gender, all with different struggles, because regeneration is not just for pornography, it is for anything. Yeah. And um, anything that is a hang-up in your life, a habit that, that is a barrier to living in the freedom that Christ has there, for us. There's a passage we'll look at later that says that a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So whatever that thing is that has control over you is what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. perfect. And that, that is, that's regeneration is, yeah. is yeah. focused in all, the, all those. And, but in that group time, I found quickly that this was a place where I could show up on Monday nights and I could put my worst foot forward hmm. and these guys would accept it and, and pray for me and love me. 
And that felt so radically different than how I had approached many other areas of my life. Yeah. That, that especially, and this is easy to do in a church setting, where we show up and we, and we can unconsciously try to put our best foot forward, yeah. right? And so the chance to show up somewhere and actually start out with, here's all the reasons my week really sucked. <laughs> And, and for them to accept it. Can we it? say that? I yeah. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We allowed to say that. I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so. Thanks for so, being real no, with us. No, that's this. right. That's right. So, <laughs> so that was, that already was hard to do at first, but transformational yeah. as we got into it. And, and um, I think some of the action steps that you have right. to do in the 12 steps proved to be very challenging for my faith, letting me put, put apply this faith in Christ and put money where my mouth is. There's right. a step called inventory where we go through for six weeks and lay out all the resentments we have, all the fears we have, all the people who have hurt us, all the people we have hurt. And that is a terrible six weeks. And Ali can attest that it mm. was very miserable at our house sure. going through that. But man, if you talk about understanding your debt yeah. of your own sin, you know, and then taking that and being able to confess all of it to brothers in Christ. Yeah. And I did that to, with guys in this room who I'm very thankful for. And them love you and accept you and be a picture of Christ and what he does for you. Some of those actionable steps proved very powerful. Yeah, yeah. and hey, the 12-step program doesn't mean 12 weeks, right? So how long were you in the program? Or yeah. have you been in the program? Okay, yeah. So um, I was I just want to make sure people understand yes, that. Yes, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah it's, no, it's no small <laughs> commitment. It is, it's, it is at least a year of Monday nights um, that you go through. Every step is multiple weeks. And you said it's really just discipleship, isn't it? It is. Uh, you, you get a mentor right. that you meet with every week, and their job is just to disciple you, yeah. you know, to, to walk with you as you go through all these different challenges and things that you tackle. And then, um, and then uh, yeah, and then, it, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's information back on the back table for anybody who wants information about Regen. Or if you've got a friend, you're like, that's not for me. It's actually for a friend. That doesn't matter. We're not going to judge you. Just take it, right? So take it with you. Look at into it. Um, it's a program. I actually met with one of your directors. I don't know if you know this or not. It just showed up one day, and we ended up having a conversation. I didn't mention you, but she started telling me about the program as well. So everything that I'm hearing looks like it would be something that we would endorse because it's so gospel heavy, right? Just drips of the gospel. Here's what the truth is. Right, here's what you need to be reminded of over and over and over. Okay, so you get a captive audience. Um, within this room, there are people that have struggles. Okay, I know that personally. You know, the details of that doesn't, don't matter. But even if I didn't know that personally, it would be true anyway. Because in the world that we live in, it's just something that is just sucking the life out of people, but especially, you know, Christians. So what would you say? What word of encouragement would you, would you give to somebody? I think the, I think one thing I would say as an encouragement is <clears throat> that the, it would be nice to stand up here and say, you know, going through regeneration and, and mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the greater understanding of the gospel and who God is and who I am means I'm fixed. You know, I'd love, I'd love if that were the case. And mm -hmm. that is not the case. I'm, I'm not fixed. I, I, and I, I, Alan and I were just talking about this last night that I'm grappling with the fact I'm, I could easily struggle with this the entirety of my life, the rest of my life. And it would mean differences for how I live my life and how 
some of you get to live your lives, that, that I might not get to do all the things that other people do, and, and that's okay. I, I much prefer the freedom in Christ to the freedom to be like the world is, yeah. you know, but, so that's one, is that, is that don't, don't look at someone up here that's, that's fixed. That's not the case. Hmm. Um, and the other thing that I would share that, I, that really stuck out to me many times in the program and through the course of recovery was if, if, there, if you can do one tiny baby step thing that moves you kind of in the other direction against this struggle, moves you the other way, it's yeah. amazing how God can take the tiniest baby step and make it a huge leap. You know, and that can look differently, and it looked differently to me many times. If that's telling somebody else, finally, um, if that's, you know, um, going to a regeneration or going to a place where you can be honest for a change, or, or maybe that's even uh, just reaching out and telling someone, I have something to get off my chest that I can't right now, you know, but, but I'd like to at some point. It's amazing what that little, how, how much God can use and how much it really starts to undermine the enemy in our own flesh because now it's momentum's in the other direction, you know, and, it, and it's yeah. amazing how much God can do with that. And, and so I also, just as a help, I, I put my cell phone number on the back of those materials, not that you ever have to contact me, but, but maybe if you give it to somebody else or if you ever felt like, you know, who could I tell this to feel free that you could tell me I can't do anything you know to to help fix but I can connect with the elders I can connect yeah. with the leadership team I can connect with regen or I can just listen at first you know and, or if it was something of maybe regen is a place that could help me but I'm t I'm terrified to go you know then mm -hmm. then know that I'd happily go with you because I still go <laughs> So um, I, that would be something I'd love to do. So, so it's out there. Don't have right. to do anything with it. But even if you take it for a, for a friend, right. take a pamphlet, know that that, this, that that option is open to. Yeah, very good. Um, I could keep on asking questions, and I shall not. Um, but there's just a lot that's even now kind of spinning around in my head. I remember several months ago, you, we were having a conversation, and you said, gosh, if I would have had this a long time ago, if I would have had this kind of a connection, accountability, or whatever, without getting into the specifics of that, right? So, but it speaks into how the church can help, okay? So think about that and just speak directly to us, you know, community group leaders, elders, and what have you. How can we help in situations like this? What are some practical things, maybe off the top of your head? Yeah, I think um, I think this struggle, many struggles, you know, as we know, flourish really well in secret. You know, that that is the place they want to keep us and 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 want to exist. And so, as much as we can, if we can be an inviting presence, mm. you know, that that doesn't. And and I think about this practically because there are times, you know, even with every all all the stuff God has done in my life. There are times where I'm I'm meeting with someone or or rat small group or something, and somebody's starting to walk down a trail, and it's like, oh man, is this where we're going? You know, I was hoping to have kind of a relaxing Tuesday night, <laughs> you know, and and that feeling of this is going to get messy, and yeah. this is going to get painful mm -hmm. to listen to and to hear, and as much as we can be champions to say no, no, no you know, let's 
let's do this. I don't know how to do it, yeah. but let's, let's dive into this together and let's try to be honest. That can really be an aid. And I think, I think the other thing that, that I'm trying to learn is, is a way that you can non-judgmentally but but ask questions of each other and 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 um, and understand that there there could be something in somebody's life that feels like a huge hurdle and boulder that they can't get out from under. And so, what's it look like to ask questions? Yeah, you know, hoping that's not the case, but understanding we are human. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, yeah, today is maybe a first step, you know, in the right direction. I think we talk about getting it into the light, bringing it out on a Sunday morning and actually preaching on the topic and looking at the passages and just being real and raw in it, having you step into this. Congratulations, by the way. This is a big step for you. So I appreciate you being willing to do that. Um, you know, that's a big deal, you know, but we need each other. And I really do think that this is the number one tool that the enemy is using to stifle the church and, and suppress us and not allow us to be free. And you know this, you know, you and I have actually talked within the last little bit, if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall, yeah, yeah. right? We always have to be reminding ourselves of the gospel. We always have to be in the word. We need each other. We need accountability. So as we finish with you, I'm not done with the sermon, so you all just stay here. But as we finish like with this section of it, uh, we want to pray for you. And we want to pray for Allie, you know, as well. So, Allie, you can stay there. I won't make you come up front, you know. But let's pray for them um, that there really would be a freedom that would take place. And not only 2 Corinthians 1, right? You know, God comforts us with the comfort that we receive so that we can comfort other people with the same comfort that we received, with whatever affliction that they're going through. So the fact that Larry is able to step into this this morning, he's really fulfilling what the Lord says in 2 Corinthians 1, He's saying, I've learned that, you know, or I'm seeing that, or here's the tools that I'm, I'm getting, and here's how I cut off my hand so that I don't sin in this area. Now, what do I do with that? Well, for one thing, bring it into the light and help other people as well. So that's what we have to be willing to do. So anyway, with that being said, uh, just kind of put out a hand. Let's pray for Larry, and let's pray for, for Allie right now. Uh, Father, I thank you for um, honesty. Lord, I'll probably mention it somewhere in the sermon later, Lord, but you desire truth in the inner parts. And just the fact that Larry was w being willing to come and say, here's who I am, and here is a struggle that I have had from the age of 11, uh, of, of 11, Lord, is, is just a good thing. It's a noble thing. And Lord, I commend him for that. But Lord, he didn't point to, to regen, and he didn't point to his abilities. He pointed to you. He pointed to the gospel, it is Christ and Christ only that can set us free. And God, we pray that Larry would not only be set free, but he would be driven back to the gospel each and every day to remind him that he's free and that he would be used as a catalyst for help and change with other people. And God, I thank you for the tenderness, the, the kindness, the gentleness, and the patience of, of Allie, his wife. Lord, um, Lord, there's much to be learned in a soul that would extend grace and mercy and say, I'm going to love you through this, sometimes angrily, sometimes patiently, sometimes fretfully, but I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you because what she's doing in that moment is just a clear picture of the gospel and the Jesus that says, I'll never leave you and, and I'll never forsake you. I'm going to walk with you through this thing. 
So, Lord, thank you for that, and, and may we uh, learn from her, her example to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you, man. Thank you. All right, this is intermission. So we're going to continue um, with the sermon. So I think about like the big question of the day, you know, is why is this particular sin, why is this particular struggle so different than others? And I think that the answer goes back to, and we read it earlier, the 1 Corinthians 6.15 passage, and I'm just going to read it again. I didn't put it up there, um, but if you want to look at it, 1 Corinthians 6.15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute, whether that be physically or with your mind? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, and here's the key, every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is not my words. This is the word of God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Why is this temptation so different? As we were made in the image of our God and our Creator, He has made us a vessel in which He would come back to us and He would reside as temples of the Holy Spirit. What was once just a body is now a temple, and the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now resides within us. So when bodily we take ourselves and put ourselves in union, or even in our minds, we are inadvertently including Christ with that very unholy union. And it should not be. Truth number three, we are not our own. We were purchased by Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit now resides within us, therefore we are to glorify God with our bodies. And listen, people, the Lord will not give us a command like this without giving us the power to accomplish it. And also remember, this is not confined to pornography or adultery or fornication as it relates to the actual physical sins and manifestations. This also includes parts of our bodies such as wandering eyes and minds that continue to think about things that they should not. This is where Jesus reminds the Pharisees when they say, hey, we're not committing adultery. And he says, but if you're doing it, with your minds, and you've already committed the crime. You're still guilty, and it is the same with us. But listen, because of these truths, 
in our last point that the resurrected Jesus now resides within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that we have power through the gospel to live sexually pure lives. We do. You're not alone. There is help. We have the power to say no. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, Titus says, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. He trains us to say no to ungodliness. Look at a couple of these commands. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. 1 Peter 13, 14. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's a command. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war, don't they, Larry? Which wage war against your soul. And the Lord's not going to say these things. He's not going to give us these commands and then say, good luck with that. The key is that he gives us the power and he gives us the strength. Look at these promises. Grab a hold of these promises with both hands, with both arms. Commit them to memory. Run to them often. They are true. And they will trample any subtle ploy that the enemy brings against us. I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not. If you're walking in the Spirit, you won't do it. That's a powerful promise, people. So what's the question? How do I walk in the Spirit? How can I learn how to walk in the Spirit? Well, we should figure that out because there's power that's there. 2 Peter 1.3, truly my favorite passage. I quote it every single day. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's His divine power. Through our knowledge of Him and His great and precious promises, as you continue to read that passage, it says that we are able to participate in the divine nature because divinity Himself resides within us and it's His divine power that allows us to live godly lives. We can say no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which we've already discussed, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but he will always make a way of escape. He will allow you to walk away. There's an open door. There's an open window somewhere. Matthew 28, 20. I'm always with you. Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you. I'll not forsake you. I know the struggle that you're having, but I'm there with you. The consequences of not overcoming or keeping yourself from this powerful sin are dire. 2 Peter 2, 19 says it this way. 
and I referred to this earlier with Larry. It says, for whatever overcomes a person, in the NIV it says masters a person, to that he is enslaved. Enslaved. And to some, this will turn into a true addiction as they are overcome or mastered or enslaved by it. To some, when that happens, marriages will end. Not, not everyone is able to continue with this ongoing adulterous relationship. At some point in time, and Jesus gives an out there, people have to say, I can't do it anymore. And marriages do, and they will end. And to some other people, you'll just never be used of God the way that you could have been because of this cycle. Larry briefly discussed the cycle. I refer to it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but you push the button. You give in. What's the first thing that happens after you give in? You find satisfaction, don't you? In a short period of time. And then right after the satisfaction, what's the first thing that plagues you? Say it. Shame. Guilt. Right? Then what do you do? What did Adam and Eve do? You go into hiding. Right? You go into hiding and you run because you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you're guilt-ridden or, or else that guilt and that shame ends up lashing out at other people and you become angry and you take it out. It's called displacement in psychology or sociology or whatever, but you take it out on other people. Right? You kick the dog because of your own guilt and because of your own shame. And then eventually you realize, I can't do that anymore. So you begin to kind of work your way out of this season of penance where you're, you're, you're basically punishing yourself and you're trying to pay for your own sins because the sacrifice of Christ isn't enough. You've got to pay for your own. And you've got to have this season of beating yourself up. And eventually you work your way out of that. And then you're like, let's go back to 88.3 and listen to Christian music again. And you know what? I'm going to get back into the Word of God. and I'm going to go to the Bible study or whatever. And you start feeling good about yourself. And then in a moment of weakness... You hit a button again, and you're back to it again. I'm telling you, people, I see it. I see it all the time. I, I don't just see it. I mean, I've lived this as well. I understand. But you do this, and you recycle. You cycle back to guilt and shame over and over, and there's so much that you could be doing for the kingdom of God, and the enemy's like, you're easy. All i got to do is put an image in front of you, and you'll never never, never let the world know about this Jesus that I hate. Because you keep on running after the flesh. And he's using it. It's a ploy. It's a trick, people. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm angry. And you should be too. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we're in hiding all of the time and we won't come into the light and we won't be honest with one another. So people keep on cycling in and out of shame. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the enemy says, no, it won't because I'm going to keep you running horizontally after other things. And before you know it, you are 70 some years old and you've wasted your life. God forbid that to be us or my children, or your children, or your spouse. I took a ramp. i got to get back on. 
there's another form of guilt as well. There are some here today or listening today who have been scarred by former bad sexual decisions. Maybe after you had come to Christ and maybe it was before you had come to Christ. There are others that have been taking, taken advantage of sexually. And there's some form of guilt, whether that be true or false guilt, that is associated with it, that's keeping you from being all that God has called you to be. And like Adam and Eve, we find it easier just to run and to hide than we do to bring it into the light, to run to the gospel, or to run to one another, where we should find encouragement and hope and compassion and love and gospel reminders. Listen, either the gospel is true and the blood of Christ purifies us from all of our sins, 1 John 1, 9, or it's not, and we're on our own, and we need to save ourselves and pay for our own sins. Well, I choose the former over the latter. I choose to believe the Word of God is able to purify me from all of my sins. I choose to believe the gospel and it is only the gospel that will enable us to overcome this powerful, powerful tool of the enemy. I remember the first time I preached at Redstone Elizabeth, and the very first Sunday, and it was somewhat visionary talking about what we felt that the Lord was going to do in this little church plant. And one of the words that we used over and over that Sunday was the word freedom. Freedom. When we looked at Carter County, when we just looked at Upper East Tennessee, the people that are in our worlds, the churches that we see, we see very few individuals or churches where there's true freedom. I'm not talking about Christian liberties to do what you want. I'm talking about freedom, that you understand the gospel and it has set you free and you are not living in bondage and you are not running in hiding. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the Lord has laid this particular sermon on my heart to the degree that I could not run from it. I could have done Ephesians today. I felt clearly that the Lord did not want me to do that. I, I think I experienced spiritual warfare like I have not experienced it in a long time this week. So thank you to those of you that prayed for me on Wednesday night. It was bad. Sam was like, you even want to be able to preach? I'm like, yes. Right now I can't think. Right now I'm in terrible pain, but yes. Because God has called me to. And you prayed for me. I woke up the next morning and I felt great. The enemy does not want this subject to be discussed. And he does not want you all to be set free or me to be set free. He doesn't. We believe that Christ will set us free. Let me end with a couple of practical suggestions. It's getting late. There's a story of Joseph that you can look at in Genesis 39, 6-12. You can look at it now if you'd like. I don't have it up on the screen. It's a lengthy passage. Let me read these seven verses to you. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. 
Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Again, there's beautiful people all around us. And Joseph was a good-looking dude. Okay? And after a time, his master's wife, a married woman, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. She's saying, have sex with me. Come to bed with me. Powerful words when someone of the opposite sex looks you in the eyes and says something like that. Which is directly tied to pornography as well, whether you see that connection or not, I'm not sure. Or if someone says, you are really handsome, or you're really cute, or you're really funny, or you're really beautiful. We find ourselves going horizontally to find satisfaction from other individuals. And there's a lure, there's a power that's there. Verse number 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I. There's no one greater than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you. He's given me access to everything except for you as his spouse because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He doesn't say against your husband. He says against God. It's Psalm 51 when David cries out after he sinned against Bathsheba and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Ultimately, it's the separation between God. It's the sin. It's the fact that we're all fallen individuals. That's where the true sin is. Verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, to me that's a red flag, which we'll get to in a moment, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the other men were in the house, another red flag, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Come to bed with me, have sex with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Flee, run, run forth, run, keep running, go. Lots of takeaways from this simple story. Attraction is powerful. Flattery is powerful. Close proximity to someone of the opposite sex is powerful. Frequent communications with someone of the opposite sex one-on-one -on -one, is powerful and it's very dangerous. And we didn't cover it today, but in this story, she ends up accusing Joseph of things and he ends up getting thrown into prison because of it. Even though none of it was true, God is sovereign. He used it for great things and the, the providence of God still worked itself out amazingly. You know, but just being in that situation one-on-one -on -one with the female in, in the world's eyes, it destroyed his life because he got thrown into prison. But God rescued him. Again, lots of great takeaways, which leads me to, and I probably should have put these up here, but I didn't, some practical suggestions for us, and then we close. Practical suggestions. Jot them down if you want. I can send you my sermon notes if you prefer. Which you would laugh if you could see my sermon notes. Ask Sam Adams about that. Number one, flee, run, bolt, get out of there. Practical suggestion. Number two, avoid danger zones, places, apps, 
certain people, certain situations, certain situations at certain times of the day, triggers. What happens when you've had a really good day? Where does your heart go? What happens if you had a really bad day and you're stressed? Where do you go then? All of these things are danger zones. So just be care, careful with your danger zones. Matthew 20, uh, 5, 29 through 30. Jesus says to cut off your hand or poke your eye out if it causes you to sin. To some of you, that might mean social media. I have to delete this app. You know, I have to go find an accountability partner. I have to whatever. I want to answer that for you. But how do you cut off your hand and poke off your poke poke off your eye? Poke out your eye. <laughs> Here's one that I'm inserting that I've given to men for several years now. Husbands, I implore you, pray with your wives every day. It's a simple thing. It's the off, one of the offensive weapons in Ephesians 6 that we will look at. There's the Word of God and there's prayer. But to be praying with your spouse every day, if you don't know how to do that, just figure it out. Figure it out out loud. I witnessed the power of prayer this week in my life, thanks to you all. It's a powerful tool. Pray with your spouses. Number five, confess quickly. Quickly. Don't go hide. Quick confession. Psalm 51, he desires truth in the inner parts. I told a couple of you guys that we've had conversations with, in the moment when you find your heart being Lord and your eyes wandering, Jesus is with you. Say, oh God, did you see that? So quickly was my heart drawn and were my eyes drawn to this, this image. Lord, what a mess I am apart from you and your gospel Thank you that I do not have to give into that and turn the other direction. If we will have you know, this continual um, relationship and communication going on with God throughout the day instead of just in the morning and at night and over meals, it will be a great power to you. Back to 1 Peter 1.13 again. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Direct connection to being in the Word of God having the gospel to help us to renew our minds every day. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 again. Look for that open window. Look for that open door. You're in your situation, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will make a way of escape so that you can stand up under it or that you can bear it. Number eight. Um, Covenant Eyes is a good example of an accountability app that you can do with other people where they see what you're seeing. They know what you're looking at. Um, I'm on this with other people right now, and I have been for years. We can talk more about that later. Find an accountability partner. Number 10, maybe consider stepping into a discipleship uh, recovery program like Regen, the one that Larry spoke of this morning. Number 11, be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Number 12, maybe start by getting angry too. I'd love to see the righteous indignation of a spirit-filled church that's believing the gospel and watch the gates of hell, which is a defensive mechanism, remember, 
being stormed by spirit-filled people that are holding up the banner of Christ. That are saying, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And we are free. And we shall not give in to this. And we're going to help other people find healing as well. And lastly, for all of us, just start by being honest. If there's struggle there, acknowledge it. At 11 o'clock this morning, an email went to everyone who is a part of Redstone Church, either as a member or as a regular attender. It'll hit your inbox. The only two people that are going to see it are your two elders. But it's a way for you to say, hey, this is an area of struggle, or I'll pray with you guys, or I'm available because I've been there, done that, if anyone needs someone to speak to. I don't even remember all of the questions, but there is a place that, for you to say, hey, I'd love to talk to to someone, right? So that's there as well. So start by being honest. I'll close right where I started, just reminding ourselves that when we look horizontally for satisfaction in ways that can only be satisfied vertically, then we're going to be prone to giving, giving into various temptations and in this world, the sexual temptation is going to be in front of us each and every day and in most moments of the day. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5 again. This is the will of God. This is our last passage of the day. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor. It is his will for you. It is His will for me. We are not alone. He is with us. We must learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel as Ephesians is getting ready to tell us. To walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Turn vertical. Turn to Him. Let's pray. It's good to be still before the Lord in these moments. This is one of these Sundays where we've gone long. And I apologize to a certain degree for that. So make sure someone that our Camp Redstone kids or teachers know that. But I don't want to stifle the work that the Lord might be doing either. So Father, we just pray that you would speak to us change us, challenge us, mold us, help us, remind us, set us free where we need to be set free. Just be still before him for a moment. In Christ's name I pray, amen. These last two passages, then I open it up, Sam. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Has, past tense, set us free. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I don't know if anybody will respond or if anybody has a thought that you'd, you'd like to share with the body this morning, but here's your opportunity to do so.